Thanks for joining us for another episode of Wheel Adventures. This is episode eight. It's the third episode that we recorded at the Pacific Northwest Overland Expo, the 2022 Expo that happens about a mile from our house, actually, at the Deschutes County Fairgrounds in Redmond, Oregon, near to Bend, Oregon, here in Central Oregon. And I saved the gear episode for last, no particular reason, other than it's kind of the most consumer material gear oriented, not that there's anything wrong with gear. And I tried to, as I went around there, it was like, oh my God, there were like hundreds of exhibitors at this expo, a lot of them for vehicles and some of them for touring companies or books that they were selling about their travels. Uh, the majority of it was really oriented towards gear. So there was a lot of things to choose from, from gear for off-roading, gear for camping, and even more than that. I mean, there's just so much to take in. I tried to cover all of the aisles and really kind of focus down into uh, admittedly what was kind of my own subjective bias about things that I thought were unique and useful and some of which were things that we currently use when we're overlanding in our uh, four-wheel drive sportsmobile van and um, so that's that's what I tried to focus on so have a listen see what you think hopefully it'll help you in your travels and setting your vehicle up as well here we are at the long-awaited pacific northwest overland rally and from the sound you can maybe guess we are at the warren winch booth with my friend andy who i know from long ago at the 2017 uh, Northwest Overland Rally in Plain, right? Yeah. And here we are with absolutely the drop-dead sexiest Delica L400 I have ever seen. We almost bought one of these when we were shopping for the um, for our sportsmobile, Andy. And um, so we looked at a lot. You know, we couldn't get up to Canada, and you couldn't get one for a long time, ex except ones that were a mess. And this one, this one looks pristine. This one looks beautiful. Yeah. How long have you had it? So we picked this up in uh, 2020. We, uh, my wife and I, flew to Florida, and we bought the uh, bought the vehicle, and we drove it home. Um, and actually, my wife ended up writing a, a story on it uh, for the New York Times. And uh, so the Delic has actually been published in the New York Times. Uh, we we were doing it during the height of COVID, and the story was about traveling by vehicle during COVID, and and you know the ins and outs of that. So, but uh, yeah, it's a 1994 Mitsubishi Delica Space Gear, uh, also known as an L400. It has the 2.8 liter turbo diesel engine in it. This one is a manual transmission. Uh, it's four wheel drive. It has the Mitsubishi Super Select transfer case, so that's going to have two wheel low or two wheel high four-wheel high with a open center diff so it acts more like all-wheel drive it's got a viscous coupler in there four-wheel drive with a locked center diff and then uh four-wheel low so a real four-wheel low on it. and you don't have the crystal light roof on there it no. looks like which 
can be problematic as we uh, found out Correct. with leakage and blah, rusting blah, blah, and all that rusting mm -hmm. so did you have to repair any rust on this or is it was it as clean as it is now it was almost as clean as it was now it had a spot on the roof but uh, the guy bought it from fixed it and painted it before we took delivery of it in uh, in florida so uh, it was very, very clean. It was all stock except for it had the BF Goodrich KO2s on it. These are a 30 by 950. And then uh, we've done everything from lift it to racks. So it's got a long range automotive tank on there. So it's now got a- How big's your tank? 33 gallons. Nice. So uh, we've got over 500, 550 miles worth of oh, range awesome. on the uh, on the vehicle. And then uh, we have a coastal off-road front and rear bumpers on there with the yeah, Warren Xeon 8S winch. Beauty. Uh, all the Warren recovery gear. We've got a uh, 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 Coombs Country Auto rear springs from Canada, Dobinson's front torsion bars. And then uh, front runner, we prototyped their rack. So we drove down to Los Angeles. Uh, from we were in Wisconsin at the time, but we went from uh, Portland to Wisconsin, Wisconsin to Los Angeles. Worked with Front Runner, uh, did that. Uh, Rancho RS9000 adjustable shocks, uh, Light Force lights up front, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, got an ARB awning on there, Max tracks, a Demo shovel. Uh, it's uh, it's it's great. We've we've traveled all over the U.S. and just went up through British Columbia with it recently. Uh, attended the BC Overland Rally, and uh, it's been a great vehicle so far. Did you do anything? Uh, the windows are tinted. I can't really see if you, there's Does, anything inside. Just window. The windows are tinted. Um, I can show you. The inside is right now kind of in cargo hauling mode, but okay, it just so has a temporary bed set up in there. Sure. We've been hauling a lot of booths to shows. I still have. I took the rear seats out. Still have the fronts. They fold up and move all the way to the front. But we're planning on switching that up at some point. Like to like to change it up for something a little bit more. Uh, hospitable, a little bit more comfortable. So, yeah, but yeah. Uh, this one's also a little bit rare because it is a manual transmission, oh, which is, nice. uh, which is oh, kind of what sweet. we wanted. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, other than that, we upgraded the speakers and the stereo so we can actually get uh, U.S. North American radio versus just the Japanese frequencies. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's been a great, it's been a great platform and super reliable. Uh, it has that 4M40, which is the 2.8 liter. It's 140 horsepower and 232 foot-pounds of torque. Uh, it's tuned up. It, it runs really good. Cruise all day at 70, 75 miles an hour nice. uh, versus the old Star Wagon that we had that had the non-intercooled 2.5 liter, which is the 4D56. And uh, it's a tractor of an engine, but it doesn't like to go much faster than 65. Yeah, so. it's similar to drive. I've had several of the VW Vanigans, and like I used to say in uh, going in on any long trips, it's a long way to anywhere in a VW <laughs> It is. I One of my favorite bumper stickers that uh, I may put on some of my Mitsubishi Pajeros that I have at home are, you think this is slow? Wait till we get to the hill. So. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know, I followed your um, your posts about the Alcan yes. rally uh, with interest because I, I used to drive. There was a, I was telling somebody about this this morning. Uh, my son and I did um, these gravel dirt road time speed distance rallies yeah. that they used to run out of Fort Collins mm -hmm. and it would go up at night they would start like at sundown sorry for the plane noise we're right near the airport um, and uh, it would be at night they would start at sundown and uh, it was the current average speed the cast was set at the speed limit which on these ro dirt roads was was like an optimistic 35 miles an hour, but the roads we were on were like double, triple caution, drop-offs, yeah. hairpins. And so we had to drive it like I used to drive hill climbs, rally cross, and pro rallies. Yeah. And it was just a blast. And it, it blows my mind that nobody has done that in Oregon. 
Yeah. Because there was, it wasn't a hugely popular thing. I, we had like anywhere from 10 to 15 people show up. Mm -hmm. But my son, my son was 12 years old when he navigated for me. And I was in the computer class because I had a full oh, yeah. rally computer. We won every rally we ever entered. That was in a Swift, right? A Suzuki Swift oh, GT. And so I knew cool. you would you would like that. Yes. You know, the twin cam engine. Yep. And I had it set up with peel lights and, and better shocks. And Haka, we were running Hakapolitas, which yeah. was a, kind of a good all-around tire for yeah. it. And God, that was a great car. I, I did snow and ice racing mm -hmm. against Audi Quattros. Yeah. And Steamboat in the winter at yeah. the Bridgestone course. Oh, so cool. I used to rally cross it. Mm -hmm. And everything I entered, like the, the TSDs, I won every one, but even the rally cross and stuff, I, yeah. I never finished worse than second. Well, we're, we're doing the Alcan 5000 Summer Rally this year. So that oh, leaves cool. uh, August 23rd from Kirkland, Washington, uh, goes as far north as Dawson City and the Yukon Territories. Oh, it's going to cut through part of the Northwest Territories and then drop down and finish in Alberta in, uh, in Jasper. So we're actually partnering with Subaru of America on that. They're going to give us a uh, uh, Outback Wilderness. So. We're gonna oh, nice. we're gonna do that with Subaru this year and uh, partnering with a few uh, companies, uh, Max Tracks, Light Force, Rally Innovations, um, and uh, uh, going to go ahead and uh, and do the uh, summer Alcan. We'll see how that how that compares to the. It's gonna be more one. comfortable. I bet it'll be a lot more comfortable. Uh, we won't have to worry about like dying of fr of of uh, uh, you know hypothermia. Hypothermia. <laughs> although I hear the mosquitoes are pretty bad up in that area. So when we'll I rode see. from I did a. Adventure ride from uh, well, it was mostly pavement except the Alcan. You know, the sections of the Alcan will have like 20 kilometers of gravel. But I rode from St. Augustine, Florida, to uh, Talkeetna, wow. and when I got to Talkeetna, I was doing thousand-mile days, so I didn't have a lot of time to clean my windscreen. Mm -hmm. It literally looked like somebody had glued a fur, fur coat <laughs> to the windscreen <laughs> and the fairing and the headlights. Wow! I cleaned my headlights off regularly. Sure. But but yeah, it was fur covered. I'm personally responsible for the death of billions of, of mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, the, we call these, I call these uh, the Delicas of bug destroyers because they have kind of a boxy front end, especially the older ones, but uh, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. You know, it was such a hard choice to, to cease looking for a Delica like this or one that was in good enough shape to do what you've done to it and go with the Sportsmobile. The Sportsmobile's got an immense amount of room sure, compared to this for sure and we can sleep three people because we got the penthouse pop up mm -hmm. we've got a couch that's really comfortable nice. full it's even got a toilet mm -hmm. inside yeah. gray tank black yes. tank oh, wow, full great. galley two refrigerators because i got a top loader that fits between the sure. seats with our dog sits on top huh? and then i got the propane front loader in mm -hmm. the back so it's really well set up for off-road with the lockers and everything but it's 10,000 pounds yeah. and it's so much bigger. The th I love little things. Yes. That's where you and I really Absolutely. have similar values and tastes because, you know, I, I, my first overlanding vehicle was the LJ20 mm -hmm. Suzuki. Yeah, that's two so cool. Yeah. And it was, God, I wish I still had it because <laughs> it was pristine. It was a tin top and it had the, um, it was kind of that putty, I think it was kind of green you know kind of the colors yeah. that the toyotas, toyotas are coming yeah. in the kind of putty right. green so many of them uh, were brown. yellow you know you see a lot yeah, of yeah no this ones. was not a yellow one it was so sexy and it was so tiny that the the wheels on it made it look that the wheels looked like 44s yeah. 
relatively <laughs> speaking. And then when we sold that, because it would only go for 45 miles an hour or so, we bought the we bought a brand new Samurai. And before we, just recently, I was looking for Samurais again because yeah. it's like God, I would love to have something smaller than this bus yes. that I take off road. And I love this thing because sure. it's so comfortable Absolutely. and it's taken us through Death Valley and the Camino del Diablo yeah. and all these overlanding routes just really efficiently. But there's something awesome about a little vehicle like the Samurai. Yeah, I had a sidekick, a 95 Suzuki sidekick. We called it the Teal Terror and it went yeah. everywhere. We took that up, up through Canada. It did a bunch of wheeling out in the San Juans in Colorado, yeah. up, had it down in Arizona. and. You, we even pulled a little, we still have the little fiberglass trailer with a rooftop tent on it. And when somebody would ask you, and you're out in Colorado, and you tell me from Oregon, like, well, what did you drive out here? I said, a oh, Suzuki Samurai with a, or Suzuki Sidekick with a trailer. And they'd say, you got to be kidding. I'm like, nope, nope. It's a, it was small and nimble, and with the trailer, we could drop the tent at, at the campsite. Yeah. And it was locked in the rear, 29-inch mud tires, sliders, um, you know, all that stuff, and a two-inch lift. And... Everyone kept telling me, yeah, you just need a locker, 29s, and a two-inch lift, and you'll go so many places. And they weren't kidding. It was it was a mountain goat of a little vehicle. We were in Arizona a couple years ago uh, with just our Jeep Liberty, you know, the older Jeep Liberty, our daily driver that we had down there. And we did an off-road trip with some folks uh, who had the, he had a Vitara. Mm -hmm. And he got up. Like, I only got one section that I had to come at another try. He went right up it. <laughs> he didn't even have off-road tires oh yeah and yeah it's so light and nimble that he just you know he took a better line than me first off but uh, the capability was was just amazing yeah very good um so so tell me real quick what's new with warren for our listeners yeah as long as because we were talking about our personal stuff here sure. but but you represent warren winches yeah so best winch in the world Thank you. Appreciate that. So we have a, a few new things. Uh, our newest thing is going to be what we call our hub wireless controller, and that's actually a winch remote that allows you to operate the winch using the Bluetooth on your phone. So uh, you get at least 100 foot of range, so it's the longest uh, range of any wired remote or wireless remote uh, that Warren offers. There's no latency. It's super great. If you don't want to use it as your primary controller, you can use it as a backup thrown in your glove box. Every time you've got a smartphone, you've got a winch remote. So there's that, and that, by the way, is available for worn truck winches, worn power sports winches, Smittybilt Gen 2 XRC and X2. So I winches. could use it on the 12,000K uh, basic worn winch that I have on my sportsmobile. Very likely, bumper, yeah. Right? Okay. And then uh, we also offer a, a universal one that can be wired up. So that's new. The other thing that's new is Warren makes wheels now. So we have. Oh, really? Yeah, we have uh, what are Show called. Show me our, the wheels. Sure, we have what are called our Warren Epic wheels. We'll go over to this Toyota. So we offer three different styles. Uh, the oh, one we're looking God, at. God, they're stunning. I wish this wasn't just audio because it is really a beautiful wheel. Oh, thank you. So we have three styles, uh, two finishes, uh, black or gunmetal gray. Uh, we have two bolt patterns. So we have 5x127, which is going to fit your Jeep JK, JL, Gladiator. And then we also have 6x139.7 for your Broncos, your Tacomas, your Forerunners, that kind of thing. Uh, so they have a center cap that is gold and sort of looks like the old worn hub. 
uh, old four-wheel drive hub. hub Which I have on my, my Quigley sure. conversion. Yeah. yeah, and so it's a nod to our four-wheel drive pass. We also have, nice. uh, have an optional uh, red and black hub uh, center cap. But So they're all going to be 17 by 8.5 with a zero offset. So we're excited to offer uh, you know another product in our suite of products. So, and then the other, the other really big thing was we've acquired a few companies in the last couple of years. So we own Factor 55. Uh, we now own Fabtech Suspension, of which the Tacoma that we're looking at right now has. And then we also own Fab 4's bumpers. They make a variety of off-road bumpers for trucks and SUVs. So we've grown the, we've grown the family a bit. We're, we're continuing nice. to offer new products. And uh, we'll have uh, some new products coming out in the next, next year, year and a half that I think the uh, aftermarket is going to really enjoy. Cool. Hey, good luck with the Alcan 5000, Thank the you. summer rally, and, uh, and uh, take lots of mosquito repellent. I will. Thank you. So I was just wandering by this booth. It's uh, Cascadia uh, 4x4 out of uh, BC. And um, the reason I'm talking to them is they're doing something really unique that's similar to what I did with the Hummer H3 that we talked about in Episode 3 when we did the Hummer build, which is uh, we put a solar panel on the hood, but it was a hard solar panel, and I bolted it to where the plastic vent was. But these guys are doing these these custom, their custom, tell me what you're doing, because you're, you're more articulate about <laughs> it than I am. Yeah, so we make uh, vehicle-specific solar systems. So they're designed for specific vehicles to integrate in an OEM fashion onto the hood of the vehicle and provide a constant trickle charge for your battery. So you can run a fridge all day long, you never have to uh, turn the vehicle on to uh, keep your battery charged up, and they work super well. And you don't have to be stranded in out-of-the-way places like we were twice because of the fridge situation and we weren't monitoring our voltage uh, properly. And uh, But the nice thing about what they're doing versus what I did is I bolted with a small spacer above the hood um, a solar panel which is really kind of a clunky way to do it compared to what they do which looks like it was just it's just painted on really it, pretty much a lot of people will walk by them and just think they're a vinyl decal or something like that yeah that's what i thought it's first it's like panel. wait a minute there's cables coming out of that they're solar panels <laughs> so very cool what's uh, give people your website again yeah so you can check us out at cascadia4x4.com all the info on our kits is available on there. Thank you, man. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm at the Garmin booth right now, and um, I've been reading about some of these things. Uh, there's a couple of products in particular. I mean, there's a lot of their products that, that are particularly um, relevant to people adventure touring and overlanding. Um, sorry for the little generator in the corner that's going off, but it's a little noisy. So. Yeah, I've got on the motorcycle that I just bought that I'll be doing an episode on. I I, I uh, ended up with a uh, Garmin uh, 600 Montana in a Touratech mount as part of the deal, which I'm really happy about. But um, they've had the I Overlander. Uh, oh no, it's not I Overlander. It's just the Overlander um, GPS, which is touch touchscreen. It's like a small iPad. Uh, configuration tablet sort of configuration that has uh, the, the biggest advantage over running a phone or uh, an iPad for customers is it's 
it's out of the box, it's dust resistant, water resistant, and you can see it better in sunlight. So it's mostly relevant for motorcyclists. I think it would work really well if you have room on a motorcycle. It's kind of a big tablet size thing. Uh, yeah, small tablet. Uh, the other thing that they've come out with, it's kind of interesting, is the Tread SXS edition, which is an overlanding type GPS system with a with its own communication system. I'm not quite sure which frequency it runs on, but it does allow you to stay in touch with other people that are running the same system in side-by-sides or overlanding vehicles. It wouldn't be appropriate for motorcycle. Um, um, I also run the uh, Garmin InReach for emergency uh, communications, and I use that a lot to text my wife when I'm in the middle of nowhere. But uh, uh, what's particularly relevant for motorcycle adventure touring is the InReach Mini. And you can text, you can link it to your phone, which is way less cumbersome than trying to do things even in the bigger InReach. So, um, yeah, so this is the Garmin booth. So Chase here from Craft AutoWorks, showing today one of our bench-built electrical systems. These are pre-built, fully connectorized electrical systems for use in sprinters, RVs, trailers, any large capacity system. It's got a built-in either 2,000 or 3,000 watt inverter charger, 50 amp dual DC to DC for alternator or solar charging, and then all the fuses, breakers, battery cutoff switch, and Bluetooth battery monitor already integrated. I have these things pre-built into a T-slot aluminum enclosure, and all of the cabling is pre-run labeled and fully connectorized, ready to install. So it's kind of a plug and play thing. It's exactly what it is. We started building these in our own shop just to make our own techs lives easier for doing our sprinter builds. And then we started selling them to other companies that do sprinter builds. And now we're selling them on the DIY market as well. Uh, our techs, once we've run all of our in-wall wiring, we can usually install one of these kits in about 30 minutes in a van. Wow. And what's what's this unit run for? So the 2000 watt system is 3450 and the 3000 watt system is 3950. Uh, and then the batteries are just separate from there. So you can daisy chain as many batteries as you'd like, and that way they're all modular, so you're not forced into a massive unit that's the electrical system and batteries all in one. It's very separate. compact, yeah. Yeah, you can't see it, but I'm describing it. And all the wiring is done, so people like me that would try and do it yourself and fuck everything up, basically you wouldn't have to put a bullet in your brain. So not only is it reasonably priced, but it may save your life. We aim to not have people burn down their vans. <laughs> and there's a, uh, a really interesting um, kitchen, portable kitchen system here that contains um, sink, sprayer, um, utensils, uh, spot for, uh, oh, it hooks up to like a scepter, uh, five gallon water tank. And this is also a plug and play system that you can have either in the back of your, like his tailgate, back a vehicle or on a table outside, right? Yeah, we wanted to come up with a solution that wasn't putting all of our kitchen gear into bins and making a gigantic mess every time we got to camp. So we built uh, an entire kitchen system into one of the Ironman 4x4 65 liter maxi cases. So it's a full weather tight enclosed case with an O-ring seal. The water assembly uh, with an integrated 12 volt self-priming water pump is all built into the case. A dual fuel gas one cooktop that runs off uh, butane or propane stashes inside and it comes fully stocked with an entire suite of GSI plates, cups, cookware, knives, everything to feed four. It also includes a five gallon jerry can 
that quick connects via uh, water uh, quick connect fittings to the case. So all you got to do is connect it to the jerry can, plug in 12 volt power, and you've got a fully running uh, entire kitchen system. I've got this same Gas One stove. It's kind of stainless steel top, so it's really easy to clean. You can run butane uh, canisters. You can plug in a uh, uh, green one-pound Coleman, but you can also, with an adapter, plug it into, like I was using it for a while with a one-pound or a five-pound propane tank. Yep. Right. So you can just do that. And the nice thing about this kind of thing. Um, it, once again, it gets to the point of when you're overlanding, there's a lot of like housekeeping to take care of. And the less you have to dick around with pulling various things out of boxes and setting things up on tables and plugging things and so forth, the more convenient you can make it, the more time you have to sit in your chair and look at the scenery you came out to actually see and have a beer. My goal when designing this thing was really just, I wanted a kitchen that I could go from stowed in my truck and pulling into camp to cooking a meal 30 seconds later. And that was our design goal from the beginning. And that's how we kind of came up with the solution. And it also means if, you know, it's one thing to set up every, you get everything set up, you get your can set up at dinner, but if you're stopping for lunch and you want to cook some soup or do a grilled cheese sandwich, it's just ready to go. And it's a little under 1800 bucks. So. Yeah, kind of our last really interesting system that uh, has been making a bit of a splash is our overland electrical system. So we've seen a lot of other, you know, kind of camping batteries on the market from lots of major brands that we all know. Uh, and there's a couple, you know, things that do really well, but there's also a few downsides. So we wanted to develop a system that was a full lithium power pack, fully portable, uh, but really designed for vehicle integration. So we came up with the OES Pro, or overland electrical system. Uh, what sets us apart from a lot of the other systems on the market is that this has dual fast DC charging. So most other products can fast charge from solar, but they can only charge at uh, about 10 amps regular cigarette outlet from the vehicle. Meaning that, you know, a comparable size system takes about 14 hours to charge from a vehicle. Our system can charge it almost 400 watts with a dedicated line, and that can charge our system in about three hours. Um, this also has 80 amps of DC output. A lot of other products on the market have one cigarette outlet and a couple USBs. Right, you're right, right. Yeah. Um, ours has a smaller AC system, so it's a 500 watt inverter versus a lot, a lot of other systems that have one to 2,000 watt inverters. But most people, when overlanding and off-road, you're mainly using DC power and very little yeah. AC power. Yeah, I almost never use the inverter, period. And this is kind of like, the whole reason I, I had a, years ago I bought a Goal Zero Yeti 400, but this is way more powerful, way more expanded, and way more efficient. And uh, for a little under $2,000, you have a system that will really accomplish a lot more. What's, what's the weight on this? So the weight's 52 pounds. We basically designed this thing to be a kind of a direct competitor to the Goal Zero 1500X in terms of the capabilities. Similar battery size, um, similar overall output, but ours is primarily focused on DC output versus most of the other products on the market being AC output. One of the cool things that we did was we used a lithium iron phosphate battery. So this is rated oh, for okay. about 4,000 cycles. Most other products are using lithium ion rated for about 400 cycles. Oh my God. So you're getting about 10 difference. times the battery with yeah, our system. Yeah. 
our system is also self-heated. So if you are using this in winter application, which is totally fine to do. Oh my gosh, uh, that's amazing, that's very cool. Yeah, you can use this little continue uh, output power well below freezing, and uh, if you go to charge it, most other systems would automatically shut off for protection. Sure. Our system will divert that incoming power into the integrated heating system in the battery, warm the battery up, and then auto switch back over to charging without you having to do anything. Oh, so it's a full so four season, weather resistant, ruggedized case. It's built into a front runner wolf pack. So it's a standardized unit that a lot of us use already uh, when on the trail to keep our gear organized. It just nests in with your existing components and you've got a full power system that you're hard pressed to kill. And it's, it fits within a, um, looks like a same, I have those same front runner uh, boxes. So it's got a really rugged uh, case that will survive just about anything. You got it. Yeah, our goal was to really just make the first dedicated automotive uh, secondary power system, portable power system. And, you know, we feel like we've uh, kind of come up with something that meets those needs. And that's uh, craftautoworks.com. If you want to get more information, that's where you go. Thank you so much for, for telling us about the, the gear. Our pleasure. Thank you. So I'm here with Tyler Larson. Okay, and he's with uh, Morflate, um, a tire inflation kit that I've been thinking about getting for the sportsmobile, and it looks like they're doing what looks like a really nice compressor system. Can you, can you give me the rundown on the on the products, Tyler? Yeah, definitely. So what we do is four tire inflation deflation. We've got two tires as well, um, but what's really magical about it is when you do pair it with the compressor because our compressor puts out 10.6 CFM of airflow. This, uh, one, this double. This over here, yeah. yeah. Uh, 10.6 CFM, so when you pair it with a four tire system, we can air up and down 35 inch tires in, or air up, I should say, 35 inch tires in about five and a half, six minutes. All Holy four tires. Crap. That's yeah. amazing. It's pretty, it's it, pretty nice. You know, a lot of, like I just did a, a three day kind of off-roady loop. It wasn't real technical, but there was some chunky stuff that normally I would air down to. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, oh, Highway 20 is only five miles away. <laughs> I yeah, don't want to yeah, yeah. do that. I yeah. got to air down. I got to air back up. It's like, yeah. well, I just, I'll just go slow. That's so, the, the plight of the Overlander though, right? It is. is yeah. We go out there and we're like, Airing down sucks, man. Airing back up sucks too. You have to stop your adventure, yes. do this but really monotonous But faster task. is better, right? Exactly, yes. right? So we took the monotony out of it, the suckiness out of it, um, made it super easy, super streamlined, simple. You literally hook it up to your tires and then you get to sit back and watch your vehicle air down, which is really nice to do. And then- yes. And it's because especially in the heat, like, yes, today, like today in a desert with the wind blowing sand in <laughs> yes, your face. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely it's a real big convenience factor. It is a lot faster than a lot of other methods out there. Sure. There's other methods that are faster, but there's nothing that can beat the convenience of it. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So what is the 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 10 six mm -hmm. uh, compressor uh, run? How much does that run? Uh, we're looking at 230 bucks for the compressor. And then the, one of our four tire kits is either 205 or 225, just depends on the wheelbase you got. If you have a Quigley van, a Econoline uh, or something, or a Sprinter or something like that, um, we do make a 200 inch wheelbase option for the really long wheelbases. Ah, okay, yep. okay, yeah. Well, because this is a dual cylinder pump, uh -huh. um, uh, it's probably faster than I've got one of the, the Smitty Belts. Uh, I almost said shitty built, but <laughs> it, it's been okay, but it's single cylinder yep. and it's, um, 
it, it's not horrible in terms of the time, but I'm assuming this might go like twice as fast. It's pretty much double. We, like we took this mini built compressor and added another cylinder off the other end of oh, it. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, and so it does double that. So that compressor. The big key to that. Compressor, and it's only a few bucks more. And it's only a few bucks more. Yeah. yeah. So most times that compressor sits around 170, 180, and we're just at 230. Wow. Yep. That's not it, and it's prettier because it's green and yep. black. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's cool. Uh, we do pressure cutoff switch in ours. So we have a pressure cutoff switch. We uh, redid the filter caps on them so that they don't come out on you. Um, we have a United States standard air fittings there. So we got a universal coupler rather uh -huh. than that weird non-standard fitting that you see on all those compressors. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot, not a, a lot of nice little changes that we made to the compressor to make it that much more easy to use. So the, sorry, another big jet going over. <laughs> Um, so the quick disconnects on the Morflate. Yeah. Um, is there a fitting that you just put on your Schrader valves on your yeah. on your valve stem? These are designed for Schrader valves. Oh, they just clip. Yeah. So without any. Yeah. God. So here. they're a locking collar design, similar to what you might see on some couplers. Um, pull backwards is disengaged. Push forward is engaged. And the nice thing about this is every other air chuck on the market, the teeth are default engaged. So that means as you put air chucks on and off your tire valve stems, yes. you rip up your valve stem threads. Oh, right, right. Or the teeth inside. So yeah, one or the yeah. other you're going to replace eventually. Yeah. Since these default disengage, there's no planned obsolescence with them. You put them on, the teeth don't contact anything until you lock it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's sweet. Mm -hmm. You know, I use the uh, ARB deflator, and I'm always afraid... You know, once I pull that core out, uh, it's gonna go oh, what if, my, what if my core won't go back in? I'm going to yeah. be fucked. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely, that one is, it's nice, but yeah, you're pulling out the core. And if you lose that core, hopefully you've got spares with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So by hooking up all four tires and dumping them all out of a single place, the cores stay in your valve stem. Everything stays connected together. It self-equalizes and balances all your tires for you. Um, it's just, it's the convenience of not having to worry about losing your cores not having to squat at tires for 10 minutes at a time go around the vehicle five times getting your exercise in checking all the tires as they go yeah, um, yeah. so it's a it's a really big convenience convenience has yeah. really got to be i mean there's so much to the whole overlanding thing and you want to be out there traveling mm -hmm. you don't want to be spending your time uh dicking around with stuff right 100 uh, you want it to be you want camp to go up easy uh -huh. you want you want it to be smooth and uh -huh. seamless yep. and this is you know there's a lot of things here i mean there's i could literally here, spend yeah. months yeah. interviewing everybody which would be you'd probably want to put a bullet in your brain by the time you got through a quarter of it so yeah. i'm really focusing on things that i think will be of value oh, cool. to overlanders in general that i think are unique and things that you really might want to pay attention to yep. and tyler told me that he does on that same vein if you do if you do a lot of off-road that's more technical like rock crawling or in your overlanding you do you uh, specifically kind of go for more technical routes we call he's that, doing a podcast we that, call that addresses rock landing rock landing rock i landing. like yeah. that that's the first time <laughs> right. I cool. yeah yeah so we do a podcast called snail trail four by four my co-host actually showed up here behind me that's jimmy jet over there um and i'm tyler so uh yeah we do a podcast we got a youtube channel for the snail trail four by four stuff um we're we love off-roading we love the community and the more that we can kind of help bring some of the education back to the community and help people you know figure out 
what's a good item to use for this? What's a good item to use for that? What's a good way to do this? Um, that's what we're all about on the podcast side of stuff. So, so uh, name of the podcast again? Snail Trail 4x4. Go there or be square. <laughs> so I'm here at uh, the Seek Outside um, booth. If you can call it, well, you can't call it a booth because we're out in the field. Um, but the, the uh, spot where Seek Outside is telling, selling their tents with... What's your name again? Austin. Austin. And um, they're from Grand Junction. I'm familiar with their gear from the, the backpacking I do. They do some, they're one of the top cottage industry sort of companies that do ultralight backpacking gear. So they've got several of their tents up. Um, and we're standing in front of the, the bigger tent that they do. That uh, What's the name of this model? Uh, it's an eight-person teepee. Eight-person teepee with a titanium stove. And this is similar to a tent that I used to have from Kafaro. And I just wanted to um, have uh, have some information on this. It, it Basically, it's a four-man tent that's really roomy. He's got a, enough headroom that even a basketball player can stand up in. And it's got a titanium folding stove that goes through a stove jack in the roof. So even though it's really meltable sill nylon, there's a uh, flame-proof, heat-resistant uh, spot that the chimney goes through. So this breaks down into how, how small a package and what weight-wise does that titanium stove, wood stove break down to? So the stove uh, comes about five pounds, um, and it breaks down into a bag. Um, it's compartmentalized, so it breaks down to in a bag about 12 feet or 12 inches by about 16 inches. Um, so very packable, um, very lightweight. And that's kind of what we uh, take pride in is lightweight, packable material and durable. So, yeah. And the tent itself weighs four pounds. So my, the reason I'm talking uh, to them about this is uh, twofold, that, that a lot of people will get ground tents that are designed for overlanding, like the Oz tents, um, that, like the RV5 Oz tent is a great tent. It's incredibly rugged. Um, it has canvas. It's got this framework that pops up in, they say 30 seconds, but to actually set it up, it takes longer than that, a little bit longer. But um, So it's not quite as quick as they say it is, but here's the downside. The thing weighs like 55 pounds, I think, for the RV5, and it's seven, it's six, almost six and a half feet long. How many roof racks are even big enough to hold that? So to keep things um, lighter, which is really important for a lot of vehicles because a lot of people will put a rooftop tent on like our our first overlanding build that we did most recently in 2017 was on a Hummer H3. And by the time I put the bumper on, the winch, the tent, the rooftop tent, all the gear inside, fuel, extra water, food, endless stuff that you put on, recovery gear, I realized we were over our GVW. And so even a 75-pound tent can add to that, which is lighter. You know, the Oz tent's lighter than most of the rooftop tents, which are between 120 and 200 pounds, right where you don't want the weight most, which is at the top of a vehicle. I mean, the, the rooftop tents have some good points, and it was really fun sleeping in what I called the penthouse. But I can tell you what else is really fun is this teepee-style tent, tent. And I've had ones like this from another manufacturer. To be out in 20-degree weather in a shirt sleeve, uh, drinking your bourbon at night, 
uh, sitting in your chair in a roomy tent. Uh, half of the tent is floored. The other half that has the uh, wood stove in it is unfloored, so you don't have to worry about melting the floor. You don't have to worry about getting ash and dirt and bark and blah, blah, blah all over the floor because it's in a non-floored, uh, a non-fabric floor area. It's open to the ground, so you can put dirty crap in there. You can put wet crap in there, and you don't have to worry about it. So basically for under 10 pounds, you've got a system that's so much more compact than a lot of the rooftop, well, any of the rooftop tents and most of the ground tents, even if you're getting like a tent like uh, the, the gazelle tents, uh, the, the T3, T4s are great tents, but once again, they're huge and they're heavy. So if you're trying to keep things lighter and simpler and more versatile in terms of the comfort, uh, not using propane canisters for your little buddy, but just the beauty of having a wood stove and just gathering from from the surrounding woods and using that for your heat and being energy independent that way and not throwing green canisters in the trash, consider Seek Outside. Perfect. Yep. That's just what we wanted to hear. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> I'm at the WeBoost booth and I could go on and on and on and gush about my own experience with WeBoost. In my rig, I have a four-wheel drive sportsmobile camper, and I'm with... Natalie. With WeBoost, and uh, I can tell you if you don't have one, it is really worth spending the money, and I'm a cheap son of a bitch, and it took me a while to finally justify spending the money, but oh my God, it's such a difference. Why is it such a difference? Well, we're helping you connect where you normally wouldn't be able to connect. We are taking that little bit of the cell phone signal and we are amplifying it to a more usable signal for you. So whether you are in a canyon and you don't have anything and you need to make that phone call, we're going to help you make it. So for emergency use, you know, I've got the in-reach, but I will always prefer cell signal to call something like a tow truck rather than do the satellite thing as long as I have a signal on my WeBoost. But for me, the biggest plus is because I have a business that's phone specific. Well, it's not phone specific, but all of my business comes through by the phone. And if I miss a call, I can lose a lot of money. But the best part is that we can be showing like my wife sitting next to me, not near the interior antenna where I keep my phone next to the interior WeBoost antenna on the ram mount, she will say, oh, I have no service. I'll say, oh, I can stream Netflix. So we can do a hotspot to our iPad and watch TV at night in places where she can't even make a freaking phone call. That's how good the WeBoost is. Oh, I love to hear stories like that. It's, it, you know, our product is just, it's so amazing, but being able to hear people actually using it and those actual real life stories, it, I just love it. In the middle of nowhere too. I mean, this isn't like, oh, we just got bad cell signal in Salem in this one place. We're like middle of nowhere, showing no signal. So it's, it's pretty fun. And I have done, I did a lot of research before I made the purchase. There aren't many manufacturers out there, but there are things on Amazon that I, let it, I watched a lot of reviews, read a lot of reviews. Really the only thing, if you're going out in the back of beyond, spend the money on the over-the-road antenna on top of your rig 
whatever, whether it's a Jeep or a van or a G-Wagon, whatever, use the OTR antenna and get the most powerful amplifier with the highest gain antenna, the highest gain amplifier. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I get it. There are other companies out there, but the great thing about Webus is we started it all. We have over 80 patents on our products, and the ones that you're finding on Amazon, yeah, they might be a bit cheaper, but they just, unfortunately, they don't work. They don't, and that's <laughs> been my research, too. It's like, yeah, you'll spend, oh, yeah, well, like, uh, like what's the top-of-the-line system now running? Because so right it's been two years since I had mine. 520 for so the, the whole kit. They haven't gone up that much, and then you can add, like, another 70 for the OTR antenna, no, right? that's including oh, the that's, antenna. Wow. Yeah, so if you go, oh, yeah, but I can get this Chinese thing for $350, it's like, don't do it. You just actually save a lot of time and put that money in the toilet and flush it and then just go out and buy a WeBoost because it's there's really, I mean, Wilson was WeBoost, and they've been doing it longer than anyone, and really it's the only one to consider. They haven't paid me. Unfortunately, but <laughs> um, I never got a like a, a sponsorship or anything. I just got it because it works. So thanks for taking time with us. Oh, you're welcome. It was nice meeting you. Likewise. I'm with Brian Wilmer, uh, day two at the uh, Overland Expo here in Redmond. And I'm at the GMC booth, and Brian is going to give us some details on the Hummer EV. And I'm a Hummer fan uh -huh. in general. We bought, in 2017, we bought a Hummer H3, and I okay. did a full build on the thing. Very nice. And we took it everywhere, and I loved that mm -hmm. thing. I, it was a sad day when I sold it, because it was totally set up for overlanding. And um, like I tell a lot of people, that Hummer came out with a, the H2 and the H3. Mm -hmm. It was kind of the original intent was overlanding before overlanding right. became a definition right and before now it became this industry like it is now yeah 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 and it gets pegged i mean i would have people going oh you drive a hummer you're killing the earth and so it's kind of an interesting uh, my, my response always is like well do you have any idea what kind of miles per gallon your average land cruiser or pickup truck gets up? but it's kind of interesting contrast that it's gone from the earth killing hummer to the EV, the electric Hummer, right, which yeah. is like, you know, carbon footprint, super low. Yeah, so. it became our big focus of something that is so dynamic with the super truck of the Hummer to have that lead our step into the EV world from a GMC standpoint. Uh, to bring it back into the family and to have this truck represent where we're going was uh, at the kind of the center of what we wanted to be doing as a company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the biggest questions that people like myself that do remote travel, do overlanding, uh, is the question of range. Uh -huh. um, you know, it's an issue that even with people that want to, I have a bicycle shop, and people that want to do long distance touring by electric bike mm -hmm. are limited as to where the hell can you charge? You know, it's the same right. deal as driving an electric vehicle or electric motorcycle is what's your range, where's the you know, where's the infrastructure uh, on the route that I've chosen for me to be able to not get stuck out there and have to get towed out. So where do you see that going? Because that's a consideration with a lot of overlanding people. Right. It's like, uh, well, yeah, it's not quite there yet, but the range on this 
Tell me what the range is, because it seems like it's quite high. So we're just over about 330, uh, 330 miles of range on the Hummer. So it varies based upon the environment uh, and things like that. But it's that's the general range of that you would have to be able to go out, be able to cycle through, and then come back on your trip. Okay. Now, that needs to take into account also if you're needing to charge anything off of the vehicle. Um, but for the most part, that's the, the range that this vehicle can drive as within with, is in within that. They do have features of uh, um, regenerative braking, so as you're going down a hill, sure, and you c it can help recharge itself a little bit as yeah. it's doing that. But that's the general range within that uh, within the vehicle. Which 350 miles is actually a pretty decent range. That's that's certainly a healthy range for a lot of gasoline or diesel. Yeah, you think about vehicles. Yeah, a lot of trucks that you would have. You'd fill up the truck, and you may get anywhere between three and 350 worth of gallon of gas. Well, now you're doing this on single charge without having to um, have that impact in the environment as well. Yeah. One of the considerations presently is like I do a lot of overlanding in, you know, like remote places in Idaho, Eastern Oregon, mm -hmm. and so forth. And they're, as far as I know, because I don't have an electric vehicle as at present, uh, there aren't a lot of options for charging out there. Mm -hmm. um, would you be able to pull into like a gas station or a restaurant that might have an outlet and get some charge just by plugging into a 110 or is that you can not it's a practical it's a very it's a slower charge process to be a, a one like a standard 110 plug sure um, but we are working with a uh, new network that's gonna uh, be spread out across the country and so our focus on that is, linking together all these charging systems to be through one system within the vehicle so that you know where you can go uh, charge your vehicle at. So as you map a course, it can show you all the charging stations and by level in there because you have level one, which is that 110 plug. You have level two, which is about a 240. And then you have level three, which is a DC fast charge. Okay. Level three is the optimal for uh, a quick 80% uh, load charge onto the vehicle within a short time. But... As we have Oops. our other, as we have our other <laughs> truck start. Yeah, yeah. The Hummer's a lot quieter. Yeah, yeah. It's running right now. You just can't yeah, hear it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's been running this whole time. You just didn't even hear it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we have um, within the infotainment center, we have a map system set up. So it's got all the trails uh, within there, and then also any charging stations that happen within those national parks as well. Nice. So, well, as things progress with electric vehicles, um, there's going to be more and more charging stations in more remote areas, I'm sure, because it's the direction things are going. I read yesterday online that Europe has voted to, well, most of the countries in Europe have voted to um, basically just stop production on all internal combustion engine vehicles by 2035. Yeah. And uh, there's even talk of, which I I can't imagine how they could do this, but outlawing internal combustion engine vehicles on the road, right. which seems a little totalitarian to me, doesn't seem like really practical where you're going to put all of these vehicles, <laughs> right. people are going to be left that can't afford new EV vehicles. It's like, wow, that's that's stupid, but, but uh, by outlawing things, it will really, by that time, we should have the infrastructure and hopefully the batteries to the point where we're even getting more range, right? Right, yeah, we're, we see the battery technology continuing to expand and from a GM perspective, being involved in a, like our network called Ultium 360, where it's 
trying to help take that range anxiety out of people because that's the greatest thing. And if I go from here to a location a few hundred miles away, am I going to be able to charge there and get home? Or if I want to see a family member six states away, how do I get there? How do I see them? Because we're used to just going up to a gas pump, filling up, moving on to the next place. That system and thinking is different now, but we're trying to also help the the customer um, be in a place where they can feel the comfort that they would have with a gas station, but from an electric perspective and feel better about um, what their vehicle is doing for the environment. Yeah. We're, we are kind of a, a uh, immediate gratification culture, the way things have become with smartphones and with Amazon getting our whatever we want the next right. day. And maybe this will help people to become more patient because you have to take some time to charge your vehicle, so just chill which uh, if you're set up for overlanding, you've got your house with you. Right, you know, yeah. you got all your stuff. So just chill while it's charging exactly. and have a beer, you know? <laughs> and I've, I've seen many times, and I've done it myself with electric vehicle, where I will um, go to a place to charge and you discover new places or go and I'll, I work remotely with where I'm at. It's, it's different for everybody. And I think it's, it is a process of learning a new way of doing it, but yeah. I think it also has reward to it too. To, for myself, to have a feeling that I'm using an electric vehicle, and it's efficient, and I've figured out the rhythm to it. So even when I charge at home, it's only to top it off. Yeah. So it's, I don't feel the anxiety because I've gotten into a rhythm and a use of that. Sure. Versus when I first started doing it with uh, vehicles that we had, you did have a bit of anxiety. If I can't charge here, where am I going to charge at? Sure. But the investment from our uh, from our leadership team and making sure that we have the infrastructure is at the core of ensuring that selling vehicles like this is um, feels tangible for people yeah 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 is there any talk of uh, the way you you know the, the way Hummer had the h1 h2 and h3 uh, is there any talk of doing any other electric vehicle versions of the Hummer uh, coming down the pike or is that classified information we have uh, different versions of this that will be coming out over the next couple of years with um, a lot of them you can reserve on a website right now um, other scaled versions, like how we had, you said the H2 and H3, I haven't seen anything on those yet, but I do know that as a company we're invested in, um, our, I mean, our focus is, they call it zero, 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 zero emissions, zero congestion, um, and I'm totally forgetting the last one, because <laughs> I'm under okay. pressure right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, no pressure. Yeah, and, and zero accidents, sorry. So oh, okay. you, being able to use the technology of the vehicle to get around um, in cases where there's... Uh, autonomous driving that that takes down the amount of accidents that are taking place because vehicles are reading off other vehicles and keeping people protected and then obviously zero emissions yeah by making sure that we're um being efficient with what we're doing in in massive quantities of performance yes i mean to to get in this vehicle and do the watts to freedom mode you don't think a vehicle that weighs over nine thousand pounds should move like that but it that's only a thousand pounds less than my my diesel Ford uh, sportsmobile four wheel drive camper, yeah. which weighs ten thousand pounds yeah. and has has full motorhome in the back and right. a pop <laughs> Well, the batteries weigh something. Batteries weigh quite yeah. a bit, yeah. But yeah. if you see this as like our flagship of, we've put the best of best into this and how it will then feed into all of our other vehicles that we'll see come down the um, down the line for us, we'll see more efficiency better performance and this is the pinnacle right now of, of what's out there 
Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll bet the guys at Rivian and uh, I'm sure you can't comment on this, but I can. The guys at Rivian and Tesla are like, go, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, we've definitely. I feel like the company's made the mark. I mean, even if you go on YouTube and search uh, Revolution Hummer, they do a whole documentary on making the vehicle. Oh, really? And we how we upended our own system to even create the vehicle. Yeah. Um, it's a phenomenal story from beginning to end of how the team came together to do this. Yeah. Um, and the support from our leadership all the way through the engineers and how this all came to market was uh, a complete new step for us. And I feel like what will turn how we do everything in the company. Yeah. Well, the capabilities of the, the all four steering wheels for off-road yeah. for a really big vehicle. Mm -hmm. I wish my sportsmobile van had that yeah. because there's a lot of K-turning happening out yeah. there, I'll tell you. And even you have cameras in the front underneath so you can be your own spotter as you're driving. Yeah, yeah. Um, the ability within the cockpit of the vehicle to navigate different areas is, for it being so big, you don't feel like you would see what you can, but because of the camera views, it gives you accessibility on the trail. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, personally, I am so happy that Hummer is back with us because yeah. I'm an enormous fan, uh -huh. having had the H3 in it. You know, I'm starting to see... Um, a few more people waking up to doing more than the, the ubiquitous Tacoma, uh, Land Cruiser, four-door Jeep, mm -hmm. and all of that. And uh, the Hummer that, that I had, I, I bought it for less money than I would have paid for a Jeep or a Tacoma, yeah. certainly a Land Cruiser. It had the reliability of a Land Cruiser. I mean, you know, up to 300, 500,000 miles mm -hmm. on that motor. And I just loved it. So it, it turned me into a lifetime Hummer fan. So thank you so much, yeah, Brian, for, for talking with us about it. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it. And if you haven't seen the YouTube videos of the Hummer, the new Hummer off-road is a former rally driver, I can tell you it will blow your mind. You Absolutely. need to check it out. Yeah. So thanks again. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. I'm at the Moscow booth. Uh, with Ryan, uh, one of the, the staff people here, uh, looking at their bags, and they got some new stuff out. Uh, uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what Moscow is about and uh, how you guys started? Yeah, so I mean, our, our motto is tough gear, hard travel, and uh, it's very much designed for that. You know, made to be ridden through hard terrain and, and dropped and crashed a lot. So everything is, you know, very overbuilt and armored so that you can hit the ground and maintain, you know, the function of the bags. They maintain their waterproofness. Um, so, you know, a huge priority for us. So we've been around about nine years. You know, next next year will be our 10th anniversary. And uh, things have been going really well for us. We're just trying to keep up with inventory constraints and all that. But, um, yeah, we just keep on keep on testing, keep on riding. You know, our, our whole team is required to ride and test the bags and use them and, and moto camp and travel. Uh, we do two big company rides a year to get everybody out. And um, yeah, they, they keep evolving. We like to describe them as a, a constantly evolving organism. You know, like they don't, we don't just find a design and stick with it. We always want to keep updating it. So the things nice. are never done and never stagnant. We just want to keep making them better. Yeah. Well, I've ridden with soft bags, you know, like Wolfman and Giant Loop. Uh, as well as aluminum boxes and plastic boxes. And frankly, you know, riding with the hard bags just scares me. Um, I, there's only one instance where my foot slipped off and I was in heading into a hot springs over in California in the Sierras. And uh, my foot went down, it caught on some brush 
and got jammed underneath the bag in the back on my GS. And it scared me. So I'm really careful about that. But uh, And then a top case. That scares me even more. If you have a get off, it's yeah. like that's right like that's gonna. I'll be paralyzed from the waist down with that, you know, yeah. in a bad situation. So the whole idea of the soft bags in general is that they can take a, you know, a tip over without like getting all bent up or just trashed the way certainly plastic bags do. Aluminum's better, yeah. But still, you can mangle those. And from what I've seen of the the Moscow bags, the way that they're they have an outside reinforcement. They seem to be the most rugged option for a tip over where you don't have to go, oh, I gotta buy new bags now. Yeah, you can drop them over and over and over again. I mean, we, we go out and do it on purpose. You know, it's it's something they're they're known for. You know, but we get a lot of hard bag converts that come through and they're like, I just had a, t- you know, a come off, I almost broke my leg or I did break my leg and they immediately want to get rid of those hard boxes. You know, you know for off road, like we understand why guys they commute with hard bags, like you know, the utility of it. But once you start going off road, it gets really scary really fast. And yeah, yeah. yeah and then the fact that you drop a hard box and you, you can lose your seal or, or break the thing in one tip over in a parking lot where yeah. you know, these things you can dump it all day long and maintain its waterproof function yeah 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 i agree and uh they make a a really wide range of capacity bags uh to suit everything from really minimal uh, amounts of gear um, and then you know riding a lighter weight enduro bike all the way up to larger duffels and side bags for full-on beastly sized gs type bikes so, uh, Ryan, thanks for talking with us a little bit. Appreciate yeah, your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. I'm at the Euro booth, and there are a plethora of just absolutely gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous, off road capable, two wheel drive sidecars, the Euro sidecars of any number of wondrous color combinations and camo. The coolest is the battleship gray with the red racks and armoring Um, the best thing about this is like you see the gray and then red yeah no it pops that's what I'm saying I mean the rest of these the green in the camo and the orange in the camo are pretty this really catches the eye the the battleship gray is red sparrow Sparrow, I read that yeah I was I was reading about uh, Euros. So is this a new model? Brand new. So this is a 22. Nice. So I do a podcast called uh, Wheel Adventures. Is okay. it okay if I ask you a few questions? Ask about... Okay, because we do overlanding four-wheel drive, but I also, as you can see, I do motorcycling as well. And okay. I have always wanted a Ural. Um, let me ask you, how are, how are sales in general going? Um, we're a little slow right now just because we're not getting bikes till the end of the year. Um, but, I mean, the beginning of this year, we were flying. We're flying. What that? I mean, this is kind of a timely question, and it might be a little sensitive because of what's going on with Russia. But are you able to get stuff from Russia from the Euro factory? So they moved to Pakistan, or not Pakistan, Kazakhstan. Oh, they did. Yes. Okay. So everything's still coming in. We're still setting up bikes right now to start shipping, but they should start shipping here in the next month or so, and then we'll get them um, probably October. Okay, and Urals, origi- Urals originally were made in Ukraine, weren't they? No, I don't think so. They were made in Russia. They okay. were stolen. So, um, but they do like the Neppers in Ukraine, which is a different brand. Okay, 
Okay, so there there won't be any problems getting parts or motorcycles for people that are considering a Ural. And uh, if you're considering a side-by-side, -side, unless you live in, uh, because you don't want to have problems with falling over with your wife or partner or whatever, um, and you don't live in Arizona or Idaho, even if you do, you really might want to consider, as I have, getting a Ural so that you can actually go the same places that you could with a Polaris or a Can-Am side by side, but be legal, right? Yeah, and you could go on the road, so you can drive there instead of And the interstate. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And what was your name? My name's Robbie. And I'm the owner of Raceway Ural. Raceway Ural is out of Salem, Portland? Oregon. Salem, Oregon. Yep. We're the only dealer right now in Oregon. So for Urals. I may be coming to your shop at some point and uh, talking to you further about this. Thank you so much. some business cards over there if you want one. Yes, I would like to get one. Thank right. you. Yeah, there's some stickers too. Take whatever you need. Yeah. Thanks. So that's just a smattering of, ooh, smattering. Uh, that's like bugs on the windshield. That's what that's what comes to mind with that. It's, let's, let's call it a sampling of the hundreds of exhibitors that were selling their wares in the category of gear and uh, so I wanted to kind of focus on things that some of the things I've used uh, use Garmin products a lot both on my motorcycle and in the sportsmobile and we use the WeBoost which has been uh, it's a good name because it does boost you it boosts your signal significantly and it's really kind of fun to hang out at night in places where you get no signal and uh, the boost will boost the tiny signal that's available and you can stream videos or movies or whatever. Not everybody goes out in the great wild expanse of nature to watch streaming movies, but sometimes it's kind of fun. So I included some of the vehicles, not in the expedition camper category of the first episode that we did from the expo, but I included them in with a gear just because that expedition camper episode really started to run too long. And, and I thought it was appropriate to give a little nod to the Hummer booth with the new uber expensive but massively cool Hummer, uh, electric Hummer, the EV that's coming out or is out. And uh, because we used to have a Hummer H3 that was a was one of my favorite vehicles to do off-road exploring on and then the Ural is uh, I've never owned a Ural but I'm a motorcyclist so I wanted to throw in a, a few things like Mosca bags and uh, uh, the Ural sidecars for the two-wheel travelers out there and so I hope that's something that can be of value to you, something we covered in one of those conversations with the various vendors there. And if you haven't looked into some of these some of these companies, I suggest go online and check them out for yourself. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Wheel Adventures and we will catch you again down the dusty road.